You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. Here's the message. If you've got your Bibles, uh, we're going to start in the book of Matthew, the book of Matthew, chapter 17. I'm going to start a new series next week, but I just have a word on my heart to kind of maybe give language to uh, what I believe God's doing uh, in our lives, in our midst, and uh, even maybe broader beyond uh, in the the larger church across the country. God's uh, moving, if you haven't noticed, all over the nation. And uh, something like 20 college campuses plus are, are having just a move of God. Uh, and, and this isn't just in Christian colleges, it's in secular colleges and uh, just everywhere. God's moving and we're seeing uh, students uh, worshiping Jesus almost continuously uh, all over the country. So let me just say this. I, I, I've said this always. You can go back 15 years and listen to sermons I've been preaching. Uh, and, and I've said the same thing because I just believe it's a good time to be serving Jesus. No matter what's going on in the world, it's a good time to be serving Jesus. The the world gets dark, but God's kingdom always gets bright. And the darker things are around us, the greater the opportunity. I'm a movie guy. Anybody else like movies? I like to go to movies, and I like to see, uh, I like to have the room dark when I'm watching a movie. My wife has to, when we're watching a movie in the house, she's got to turn all the lights on. I'm like, no, no, turn the lights off. Turn all the lamps off. I want to see the movie. Why? When you're watching a movie and the room gets dark, it creates contrast. And we live in a time where contrast actually is an opportunity to show light to people that are hurting. And so God's moving, and this is just the beginning. This is just the beginning. So um, thankful for what God's doing right here with all, with all of us. And Matthew 17, uh, we're going to read the first eight verses of Matthew 17, familiar story. Uh, but, but I want you to see this. Uh, Matthew 17, verse 1 says, Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by Themselves. So he takes three of his 12 disciples, his closest disciples, his closest followers, and he leads them up on a high mountain all by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. What does that word mean? Transfigured means to be changed, to be transformed. And uh, it, it's a word that means, in, in the, if you go back to the original language of the New Testament, the Greek language, it means to, be, to show outwardly what you are on the inside. So, so there's a different word in the Greek language that show, to show outwardly what's different than what's on the inside. It's used of, of Satan transforming himself as an angel of light, that he portrays something outwardly that he's not by nature. Well, transfiguration is the opposite. Transfiguration is a revelation of what's, what's, what's unseen or what's not yet fully known. And Jesus, for uh, this, this, he's going to walk the earth for three and a half years of ministry, 33 and a half years before the cross. But as he's at this moment, these last few years with his disciples, he's about to reveal himself in a way that they have never seen before. And the disciples were as close to Jesus as anyone on planet earth at that time. They knew him. They knew him his voice. They knew the way he walked. They knew what he taught. They knew what he did. They saw Jesus. They were familiar with Jesus. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, as you spend any length of time in the word of God or hearing messages or worshiping together, you become familiar with Jesus. But no matter how familiar you are with Jesus, there's still more to know. 
Are, are you with me? There's still more to know. Uh, there, there's never a point at which I've been preaching the Bible for over 18 years of ministry, serving as a pastor, serving Jesus, uh, was a ministry almost right away uh, because of what God did in my life. And, and I'll just tell you, in all that time in my walk with Jesus, I've never exhausted my wonder of who he is. I've never come to the point where I go, oh, I got this Jesus figured out. No, no. For all eternity, we're going to stand in awe of who he is. All eternity, the angels have been singing, and every time they see a facet of his glory, they cry out in, in worship. And I think there's something dangerous about religion when we get just used to God and we lose our awe of God. We lose our, our view of the wonder of who God is, and, and, and he's transfigured. And what that means is they begin to see something different. Well, actually, says what they see differently. It says he's transfigured, he's changed, he's transformed before them, and his face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. Behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with them. Like, this is quite a day for a hike with Jesus. And Peter answered, and he says, Lord, he says to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we're here. Me, James, and John, it's good we're here. Lord, it's, it's good because if you wish, we can make three tabernacles. Tabernacle, word for a tent. He says, we can make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud and said, This is my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. Three times the voice of God the Father is spoken in the Gospels, and all three times are to point to Jesus. All three times are to point to the Son, to glorify the Son, to point people to hear and recognize the Lamb of God that had come for us. And when the disciples heard this voice, they fell down on their faces and they were greatly afraid. But Jesus came, he touched them and he said, arise, do not be afraid. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. For four points today, number one is very simple, but I think it's important for all of us, whether you're new in your walk with God, whether you're new uh, to, to Jesus, or, you're new, or you've been a Christian for 30, 40, 50 years, uh, I think it's important that we recognize that Jesus is better than we think. No matter what you think about Jesus, he's better. No matter what you think of God, he's better. No matter what you've been told of God, he's better. Are, are you with me, church? Uh, that, that no matter what you've been told, no matter what you've seen, no matter what the culture has defined Jesus as and God as, he is so much better. I, I love what Leslie shared about the contrast between the Old Testament as they would have the Old Testament sacrifices and, and they, would, they would do all these things to try to make things right because there's something deep down on the inside of us that knows something's wrong. And we try to put language to it. We try to look for political solutions, relational solutions, all kinds of things in the world, but the only thing that can put us right is the blood of Jesus that we sing about. The only thing that can save us is Jesus. The only one that can change us is Jesus. There's no resolutions can make you a better person, but Jesus comes to make, take you from death to life. That's something that only Jesus can do. And no matter what you and I have heard, he is better. Hebrews 1 Paints a beautiful picture. Verse 1, it says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. God's always in the business of trying to reach people, communicate his will, his word to people. And, and yet it says here in the last days, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his 
son, whom he has appointed heir of all things. Everything belongs to him. Everything is his by inheritance and right. You know, even the nations, the Bible says, are not the devils. They're not the Antichrist. They don't belong to darkness. The Bible says the nations are the inheritance of the son. That's Psalm chapter 2. So if it belongs to Jesus, how can we let the enemy have it? Let me make it real personal. Your family doesn't belong to the enemy. Your kids don't belong to the enemy. Our our city doesn't belong to the enemy. The only reason for darkness to overcome is when the, the light doesn't show up in the room. Through him also he made the worlds. Jesus is more than a good teacher, good moral man, a philosopher, a prophet. He is fully man, he's fully God. He's the son of the living God, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of God's glory and the express image of his person. So if you want to know what God's like, look at Jesus. Everybody's got an opinion about what God's like, but if our opinion is informed by anything else other than the person of Jesus, other than what God has revealed of himself in his word, then we're, we're seeing an inferior view of God. I don't care if it came with a nice religious bow on it. If we want to see what God looks like, we look at Jesus, the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power. That's the one that you sang about today, church. That's the one you sang not just about, but to. That's the one who's calling us, inviting us, wants us to know him. It's this one who holds everything together from the smallest molecule and atom to the greatest galaxies. That God who holds all things together by the word of his power is the one who wants to be known by you and I. When he himself, when he had by himself purged our sins, he didn't need my help or yours. Okay. That's a whole other sermon. Sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, having obtained a far more excellent name than they. So so Jesus, you can see it from Old to New Testament. The first part of the Bible is made up of the Old Testament. The Old Testament being God's revelation from creation to the coming of Jesus, of the promise of the Messiah, of what Jesus was coming to do. But not only would you see specific and direct promises concerning the Things like the virgin birth or the coming of the Messiah to be the king in the lineage of David. All the things that Jesus would come to fulfill. But there's also pictures and types. So Jesus is our high priest. He's the one that intercedes between man and God. You don't need a person to go between you and God because Jesus has bridged the gap. Everyone can go to God. Pastors don't have more access to God than you do. The person who's been a Christian for five seconds has as much access to God as a person who's been a Christian for 40, 50 years. And and, and so this is important because sometimes we think, well, I can't pray because I don't pray like them. I can't go to God because I've got a messy history. We just sang about how his, his blood rewrites my history. It changes the narrative. It changes the story of my life. And so we have access to God through Jesus. He's the priest, but he's also, what's unique is the priest would offer a sacrifice, but Jesus comes and he's both priest and the lamb. He's both the offerer and the offering. And he lays down his life to take our place on the cross. You see Jesus throughout the entire Bible. Then we get to the Gospels, which tells the story of Jesus teaching and preaching and ministering and walking the earth and, and, and going to the cross and dying for our sins and rising to new life. 
We see Acts and, the, and the, the letters of the New Testament that tell us what it looks like in light of the cross, in light of the resurrection. This is who Jesus is for us. And this is how we walk out our relationship with Jesus. And then we get to the very end of the book, the book of Revelation, which lots of people think is about the enemy and darkness and what the devil's doing. But it actually opens with this statement, the revelation. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. God is revealing who he is. He doesn't want us veiled with religion. He doesn't want us to miss his purpose. He wants us to see him. Jesus is, and I've said this before, but for those that are new, I want to just remind you, Jesus is our savior. He's our savior. Titus chapter three says this, at one time, we too were foolish. Anybody else besides me? I can relate to that. Uh, We were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Sounds like social media to me. Anyway, but when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, not because of our good works, our own effort, but because of his mercy. No one will get to heaven and say, I earned my way here. No, we'll get to heaven and go, thank God for the mercy of Jesus. Thank God for the blood of Christ. Thank God for the sacrifice that he paid the price so that I could be forgiven and set free. He saved us through the washing of rebirth, renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, so that having been justified, that is made right with God by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. He has made you and I heirs. We were orphans, now we're heirs. We were lost, now we're found. We were broken, now we're made whole. That's what Jesus has done for us. He's a savior. You know what else he is? He's a healer. The people would come to him and it says that he healed all who would come to him. Jesus didn't go, well, you know what? You know, God's giving you this to teach you something. I'm gonna get in trouble this morning. Can God teach you with a bad situation? Absolutely. That doesn't mean God started it. Doesn't mean God gave it to you to make you spiritual. Jesus is the healer. The leper comes to Jesus in Matthew 8 and says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. If you're willing. I think that's where a lot of people are. It's not a matter of if God can, it's if God will. Jesus answered and settled that question once and for all. He said, I am willing, be cleansed. Jesus is a healer. You know what else he is? He's a deliverer. He's one who sets us free with whatever has us tied up, whatever has us held back, whatever has us bound. Sometimes we like, to, we, we like to think of other people being bound, but not ourselves being bound. Like we think of other people as struggling, but not ourselves as struggling. But if fear is ruling your life, Jesus wants to set you free. If shame is ruling your life, Jesus wants to set you free. He's a deliverer. And what I love about the Bible says, if the son has set you free, you shall be free indeed. True freedom looks like what Jesus brings to our lives. You know what else he is? He's our deliverer. He's also, the Bible tells us he's our, he's the one who baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. So, so, so John the Baptist comes along, he preaches repentance and baptism in, in the River Jordan. He baptizes people and calls the nation, preparing the way for Jesus the Messiah to come. And he, he lets them know there's one coming after me, that's Jesus. One's coming after me who's actually going to baptize you too, but he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So in other words, just like you're being baptized in the river right now, Jesus is going to come along and immerse you in the Holy Spirit. And the church has forgotten in our 
our day in many areas, we've forgotten the importance of the value of the Holy Spirit. He empowers us to do the things that God has called us to do. You know what else he is? He's our soon coming king. 2 Peter 3, if we could put this on the screen. Uh, there's lots of verses in, in Old and New Testament talking about the coming of Christ, the second coming. But here's what I want you to see. Here, because people ask why. Because here's, here's the thing we've done, I think, by, um, we, we've done a disservice in the church. We've been like the boy who cried wolf. And so people kind of start, they start tuning out because we've th- said things like, well, here's 88 reasons Jesus is coming back in 1988. <laughs> And when that doesn't work, true story, the the book got republished as 89 reasons he's coming back in 89. So anyway, but 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 here's here's what happens when when we when we define it that way instead of recognizing Jesus Jesus is our soon coming King. We don't want to ever miss that. Why is there a delay? There's a delay for this very reason. The Bible actually tells us does not keep us in, in the in the dark. Second Peter three nine. He is not willing. He is not slack concerning his promise, as some consider slackness. But he is not willing that any should perish. He is coming again. The king is coming. I just want to remind you of that. Jesus is coming. He's not going to take an opinion poll. He's not going to ask if it's okay. He's not going to ask if it's convenient. Jesus is coming. It's happening. But why is there a delay? This is why. Because he is passionately in pursuit of the lost. He is passionately in pursuit of the one that is far from him. And the church needs to capture the same heart that Jesus has. That we would pursue those that are far from God. We would say, God loves you. God has a plan for you. Come home. That we would join with heaven in that invitation. He is our soon coming king. See, Peter, James, and John are on the mountain. And they saw something different about Jesus that day. He was transfigured. He was changed before them. In a way that just revealed more of who he was. In fact, there's just something about, you know, there were, there were crowds that followed Jesus. And many of them, and, and, and listen, this isn't a bad thing. This is a starting point. This is frankly where most of us, all of us, if, if not started, the, the crowds just showed up because they heard there was bread. <laughs> like, like, I was hungry. Jesus is multiplying the loaves and the fish. I'm here for the bread. Anybody else here for the bread? Like, I, I'm just, I, I, God's, he's doing miracles. He's working. He's, my life is, 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 I'm hurting. I'm broken. I'm struggling. I'm at rock bottom. I'm, I, I need my, and, and so we come to Jesus for bread. We come to Jesus for an answer. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing to come to Jesus for, for, for what we need. But then there were the disciples who took it a step further. They followed Jesus from city to city. And they got to know Jesus on a level that the, the crowd never pursued. Or they were content with just the bread. They were content with just make my life better, fill a need, uh, help me in this area. And God's faithful to do that. But, but there's more. There's a relationship that he's after. The bread was meant to be a sign to point us to the person. Because Jesus is not just a doctrine to memorize, he's a person to know and to follow. And the closer we get to Jesus, the more we see. Because Jesus invites three of his 12 on the mountain, and the rest of the, the other nine guys didn't see what these three saw. And I think there's something about, I'm, I want to get as close to Jesus as I can, I want to see as much as I can, I want to know as much as I can. And the, the way, here, 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 let, me, let me say it this way, proximity, closeness, 
led to a better knowing. Religion is content to stay at a distance. But Jesus invites us on the mountain. He invites us alone with him. He invites us to know him more. And it's in the place of drawing near that we begin to behold something about Jesus that's different than what we saw. And here's why this is important. Because what we see most, what we give our attention to most, is actually what changes us the most. You become what you behold. It's just true. What we spend our time with, what we're around, what we fill our life with will begin to transform the way we think, the way we talk, the way we live, the way we worship, the way we walk out our lives. And so if I want to be more like Jesus, and I believe that's a calling of every Christian, to be more like Jesus. And, and, and when we're to be more like Jesus, we've got to be, this is super deep, write this down. I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> to be more like Jesus, we've got to be around Jesus. We've got to be with him. There's no such thing as a professional Christian. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, We all with unveiled face behold as in a mirror God's glory are then being transformed. How do I change my life? Do I, do I sign up for a program? <laughs> How do I change my life? I'm a reader. I love to read. I'm reading a book a month this, this year. That's my goal. That's my target. I think it's important to learn. I think it's important to be educated. But a heart isn't transformed just by more information, but by proximity. We're being transformed in the same image from glory to glory. Religion can't change us from the inside out. People can't change us from the inside out. But Jesus can. Proximity to Jesus. So if I want my life to be changed, it's real simple. Get as close to Jesus as I can. <laughs> can I just remind you of the people around us need to see Jesus. They, they need to see Jesus. They don't need religious stuff. They need Jesus. People are, people are hurting. They need hope. They need answers. They need freedom. We need freedom many times. And it's in Jesus. I, I, I think there's a reason why Paul said this, 1 Corinthians 2.2. 2. Paul said, the Apostle Paul, and, and, and in, in his story in the book of Acts, it tells us that Paul went to, I think it was Athens, and he goes to Athens to, to preach the gospel to the greatest philosophers and minds. It's like going to you know, a, a Harvard or Yale discussion. The greatest philosophers and minds in the world are in this place, and he's debating philosophy with them, but it's, it's more from the standpoint of him just presenting Jesus. And while there are some people that come to Christ, it seems to be somewhat limited results. The very next city he goes to is Corinth. And he would later write to, about the Corinthians. He would spend, if I remember right, a couple years there. He would write this. He says, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. You can argue with people philosophy all day. And, and, and I believe, in, you know, there's, there's a place for that. But do you know what I think is just as important? If, no, no. Let me scratch that. What's much more important? I get, I get all the time as a pastor. I get um, emails, you know, you should preach this, you should preach that. You should. So, so, so here's, here's, what, here's what we're preaching. Jesus is our message. Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because you know what can't change a life? Opinions. I, I've, just, I've been doing this a long time. What, what can change a life is my opinions. But you know what does? Every time, 
We're not ashamed of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, because that's the power of God. We represent. You know, as a believer in Jesus, you know what you're called to do? Represent. That's what it means to represent. We represent Jesus, not just that we show up with our all things new t-shirt, we got a baptism. We're giving away a few of those at team night because I have a ton of people who are like, how do I get a baptism? How do I get a t-shirt? Get baptized. No, I'm kidding. We may have some rebaptism just for the t-shirt. No, I'm kidding. Um, God wants to reveal Jesus to me like he did the disciples so that he can reveal Jesus in me. The world needs to see Jesus. What America needs is to see Jesus. What our neighborhoods and our communities need is to see Jesus. I know that's simple, but I think it's sometimes we, we, we try to graduate from the essentials. What our families need more than anything else. They don't need perfect parents. Our kids don't need perfect parents. How many have realized you, none of us are perfect parents? I mean, if you are, I'm, I'm ready to listen. <laughs> Write your book, please. Uh, but what our families need is to see Jesus. And when we fall short, which we will, we point to Jesus. But we need to, our families need to see Jesus. Here's Paul's calling, Galatians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me. Watch what it says. Paul says, I, I was separated. Before I was even born, God set me apart. Can I just... Let somebody know, you had a purpose. The world says you're a clump of cells. Jesus says you are called. The world says you're just another number, another name. You're a statistic. God says you are fearfully, wonderfully made. You have a purpose from heaven. You are called by God. You are chosen by God. And even it says he was set apart. God's called you. You're set apart. You have a purpose. We want to help people discover what that is. He's set apart. And what was his purpose? We know it would be to preach Jesus. It would be to go and plant churches. It would be to carry the gospel to the nations. But you know what his purpose first and foremost was? He says right here, to reveal his son in me. I think we miss it if we do all the stuff and all the works, but people can't see Jesus in us. God wants to reveal Jesus to me so he can reveal Jesus in me. Number two, let's go through these points a little bit quicker. Number two is don't camp in a moment. Peter says, Jesus, it's good we're here. I like Peter. I can relate to Peter. Because Peter's one of those guys, when there's silence in the room, he's going to fill it. He doesn't like awkward silence. He's going to say something, even if it's dumb. And that's me. Like, I, I'm going to say something. Like, I just don't like awkward silence. And Peter says, hey, Jesus, it's really good we showed up. It's good for you. We're here. And, and I'll make a tent. Peter, James, John, there's three of us. We can make tents, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for you, Jesus. Do you know what they're saying? We're gonna camp here. We love this moment. We're loving this experience. We love what's happening. We're all about it. So let's just get, a, let's get some tents going. Let's drive some stakes in the ground. Let's build those tabernacles. Let's establish, I don't want to leave this spot. And that's not a bad desire on the part of Peter to say, I want to stay here. Have you ever had good, good moments in your life, God moments where you go, I wish I could stay here forever. I wish I could just experience this forever. I wish this could, and, and, and there's, there's something about those moments. You know, we also camp in things that are not good. We camp in moments of shame. We allow a moment to become a monument in our life. 
There's people today that are still battling with something that happened 10, 20, 15, 30 years ago because they've decided that they're gonna camp in a place that Jesus never wanted them to put stakes down. Don't camp in a moment. I love that it says the next thing that happens is a cloud shows up. It's like God goes, okay, I gotta do something about this. Before Peter puts his foot in his mouth any further, a cloud comes and overshadows them. Overshadows. That means that, that Peter's opinion in that moment, as well-intentioned as it was, is now overshadowed by something greater. The personalities on the mountain are overshadowed. The agendas on the mountain are overshadowed. There's something about religion that says we're going to camp in a moment and it's, 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 it's mind-boggling to me. And I, I, you know, even this last week, I know that social media sometimes is a dumpster fire. But like, God's moving in college campuses and there's always going to be a critic. There's always going to be somebody who's like, I don't, I don't know if that's God. <laughs> you know what's not, do you know what's not a spiritual gift? Criticism. It's not, a, it's not a spiritual gift. You can't find that as a spiritual gift in the Bible. Okay, let's move on. Who couldn't celebrate college students on fire for Jesus? Come on. But that's what happens. We camp in a moment. We camp in something. We camp in our favorite doctrine. We camp in our favorite method. We camp in our favorite system. We camp in whatever it is. And we're just like Peter. It's good we're here, Jesus. We're going to do you a favor. We're going to help you understand what's from you and what's not from you. As if he doesn't already know. Can we allow God to overshadow our agendas? Our plans? <laughs> even, if, even if our experiences were good. Here's what I love about the Bible. Uh, Isaiah 43, 18, it says, don't remember the former things of old. It's not as if the past is bad. No, no, it, it's sometimes the good stuff that's the hardest to let go of. But sometimes the very thing I'm holding on to from before is gonna keep me from receiving the thing that I need to receive tomorrow. There's lots of Christians that their, their Christian life stopped at the moment of the day they said yes to Jesus. And, and that was a good, that was the most important decision they'll ever make. But what if God still had more for you? What if God wanted to work in your family? What if God wanted to fill you with his Holy Spirit? What if God wanted to grow you and use your faith? We just had a whole team yesterday that went out to North Iowa event, the event center to the home show and shared Jesus with people, prayed for people. What if God wanted to take you beyond just the moment of your spiritual birthday to do something great through your life? What if he called you to make history? What if he called you to change your family? What if he called you to not only be free from addiction, but to see others free from addiction too? Don't remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. God's doing something new. He's doing something new in your life and mine. Number three, we'll go through these quickly. Number three is God is calling us higher. He invited Peter, James, and John on the mountain. One of the things I, so my wife, she, uh, she's a beach person. I'm a mountain person. We, we, we compromised and we moved to Iowa. <laughs> I 
So, so I, I loved, and when I was in Arizona, I was, when, some of you know my story, I went to college at ASU, and um, one of my favorite classes I took, and it was one of my favorite classes, not because of the subject matter, but because we got to go out hiking. And I took this uh, natural history of Arizona class. And there was trips we would take up to the, you know, there was called Squaw Peak, Piasco Peak, and Camelback Mountain, if you've ever been out to Phoenix. And you go hiking, and man, it was awesome. And I love hiking up these mountains because the higher up you go, something begins to happen. You have a different perspective on the mountain than you do down in the valley. You see things differently. It's funny, even, even like on days where we'd have heavy pollution in, in the city in Phoenix, uh, you could go up on the mountain and you almost see this brown haze, but you're above it. What you didn't realize when you were in it, you now can recognize the difference because you're above it. You get up there and, 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 and it just clears your head and you're like, man, the, the stuff I'm dealing with, like it's just great to just be up here. I feel good, I'm hiking, I'm, and, I, and I love that. I also had a bad field trip one time. And, and we, part of the class was we were going to go find snakes in the desert. And we were going to find snakes. I think our class, we gathered up at the college. We loaded in a van at 10 o'clock at night because apparently snakes come out at night. And so we thought, that's a great idea. Let's go find snakes in the dark. So we loaded up in the van. We drove out to the far west end of town, as far as, outside the city, about 30 minutes. And we got out, and our professor decides that he's going to help us find snakes because he's the expert. And so we're standing there. He gets out of the van. We all get off in the van, out of the van. And I'm pretty sure, you know, cars are flying past us. And, you know, we're like, why are we standing here on the side of the road? And he comes up, and he says, hey, look at this snake. And he holds up a snake, and we're all keeping our distance. And he says, hey, this is, you know, he explains what kind of snake this is. And he says, this is actually a baby, which means it's more poisonous because it doesn't regulate its venom. So if this thing bites you, it'll give all its venom into it'll inject all of it into you, and you'll probably die. And then he releases it. I'm, I'm, true story. He takes it, I mean, he walks like 10 feet away, and he releases it back into the desert. I'm like, I'm getting in the van. I'm done. It's not worth it. I... There's certain elevations that you get to, though. I, I saw one stat said 1,200 feet. I don't know if this is true. But there's, there's certain elevations that you get to where snakes can't live anymore. They, don't, they can't live at that certain elevation. There's one mountain that has something called a snake line. It defines where, where snakes are at that elevation, and then past that point, they don't survive. They don't, grow, they don't, they don't nest there, live there. They don't burrow there. They don't go up there. So, so there's actually a place at a point of elevation where you can go where there's no longer the presence of any snakes. Do you recognize, church, that there's a place in your relationship with God that God wants to take you higher where you're not dealing with the same snakes of fear and shame and guilt and regret and offense and bitterness and all the crud that you're fighting with down in the valley? Right. Do you know what I've found? Either you can sit in the valley all day and fight snakes or you can just get up on the mountain with Jesus. Amen. It's like, oh, it can't survive here. That's why worship is so important. I know we think, well, worship, it's on my personality. I'm not a worship guy. Worship brings you into the presence of the king that no snake can survive in. The Bible says that he inhabits the praise of his people. That's why our focus is on Jesus. He takes us higher. Ephesians chapter 2. Jason, if you want to get ready. Ephesians chapter 2. Here's what the Bible says about your salvation about what Jesus does in our life. But God, who is rich in mercy, 
because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in sin or trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And he raised us up together. What does that mean? It means when you said yes to Jesus, you identified with his death. When you said, Jesus, be my savior, and you turned from your sin, and you put your faith in Christ. You know what that does? It, it says, Jesus, I'm identifying with your death. Your death is my death. We may not have had language for that or recognized that, but in the moment of your salvation, you died with Christ. But just as you died with Christ, that wasn't the end of the story because it wasn't the end of his story. He rose from the dead and you are raised to new life. That's what it means to be born again. You're made new. You're brought from death to life. But that's not even the end of the story. It just keeps getting better. Because watch what he says next. And he's made us to sit together in heavenly places, in Christ Jesus. So when you pray, you're not praying below the problem, under the problem. No, no, you're praying from a position in Christ Jesus because he is far above that mountain, far above that issue, far above that pain, far above that addiction. And when you're praying through that issue, you're not praying from a place of defeat and, and being crushed underneath. I know we look at it when we pray, we're like, God, you gotta help me. It's all overwhelming. And we see the thing is over us instead of recognizing that thing that's over our heads is under his feet right now. And so if it's under his feet, it's under your feet. The last thing God says to the disciples, this is my son. I know you're enamored. Your favorite celebrities from the Old Testament are here. Moses. Elijah, it's a big deal. But you know what you need to hear? God makes it real clear. He says, this is my son, hear him. The last thing is we need to listen to the son. We need to listen to Jesus until every other voice in my life and yours is secondary. How do we do that? Well, we start with God's word. Sometimes as believers, we go, well, I need a word from God, and then this has dust. <laughs> when his voice becomes the greatest influence in my life, you know what no longer has an influence? The voice of shame. The voice of the world. The voice of my fears. And they looked up, and it says they saw no one but Jesus. All the others were gone. The cloud was gone. Moses and Elijah are gone. But what they needed to see above everything else was they needed to see Jesus. Who they needed to hear above every other voice was they needed to hear the Son. And today, no matter what voice is influencing your life, you need to hear the Son. John 10, 27, last verse, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. They hear my voice. He gives us his word. He gives us the Holy Spirit to lead us, guide us, some of us, I'd say most of us, God's already speaking to, we just don't recognize it's him. We don't recognize it's his voice, his leading. I believe we can't come to God without hearing his voice, without filling that pole, that tug that says, this is for you. That voice that invites us to surrender, to give our life to Jesus. It's a voice of the Holy Spirit leading us, guiding us. It's a voice that warns you of what's dangerous. It's a voice that guide you with peace. 
Today, what voice is the strongest in your life? Whenever I get overwhelmed by the noise, I know that I need to go climb the mountain. I need to get along with Jesus. Say, God, I need you to speak into my life. I need you to speak into my family. Do you know the word of Jesus can change your marriage? This is a whole series on marriage and family and relationships and all of that's good and practical, but it all starts with a, a word. One word from God can change everything can change your family, can change you. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.